Glorify Jesus, Lord, in our fellowship today. Heal somebody that is sick, somebody that is confused. Lord, we ask for direction for that person today. That marriage that is at the brick, Lord of scattering, Lord, we ask for peace to be restored as your word is coming forth. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord is good. All right, can we just rise to our feet quickly, take our declaration, and then I commence teaching. All right, Father, we thank you because you're already present here. And because of that, we declare as follows. We want to let go. Being filled with the knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It's giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. All right, let's start today by reading from the book of Hebrews. I'm going to start from chapter 12. Uh, We've been looking at uh, the select ones whom God uses. That is, it's not everybody that qualifies to be used in the appropriate way by God. That is, everybody will be used one way or the other. But Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, There are vessels unto honor and there are vessels unto dishonor. God chooses people specially for his honorable work. And what we need to do in life is to make sure that we are one of those people that are chosen for this honorable work of his. One way or the other, everybody is going to be used by God. But you might be used for what the Bible calls an ignoble purpose. That is, a purpose that is not noble. A man like um, Judas would be a very good example for us in that particular instant in that he was used for the betrayal of Jesus. And Jesus said it would have been better for him if he was not born. But you look at it, Jesus says something. He said, did I not choose you, you, you 12, but one of you is a devil. That is, from the beginning, God knew the kind of person that Judas was. He did not take Jesus by surprise. Jesus knew that this man is not a good man. But yet he chose him into the ministry because he needed to do something that good people do not do. So Solomon said to us, God has made everything for a purpose, even the wicked for their role in the day of judgment or destruction or the day of evil. So what we need to do is to ensure that we are not one of those people. Because you see, even though it's God that's using you, he judges you according to your works. He does not judge you according to the thing that he really wants. He's judging you according to your works. So when he used Nebuchadnezzar, when he used the Assyrians, he judged them. He used them to judge his people Israel. But he said because some of these people did what he wanted them to do, all right, in their own wickedness. God just took advantage of their wickedness to bring forth his purpose. Same thing he did with Pharaoh. So Pharaoh was judged for his works, even though he served the purpose of God in his life. He was judged for his works. He was not judged because, okay, God said, okay, if you are not done what you did, I will not be able to bring my people out. I will not be able to show my glory. No. God says, listen, I knew the kind of person you were, so I raised you to become Pharaoh so that I will be able to show my glory, my power through you. So what we need to do is to ensure that God uses us for uh, a good purpose, that he does not use us for the ignoble purpose. And that's what I've been trying to look at. So as believers, I just like saying this again, 
This is a time to put yourself together, to put your house in order. Once in a while, God will come and give people time. Say you have a limited time. God might be merciful. He might be long-suffering. But like I always say, he is not ever suffering. His long-suffering has a cut-off point. So in the, that's what the Bible tells you. The day, today is the day of salvation. In that day of salvation, you must do what is right so that God will count you worthy for certain things. Now we're talking about being used for him, uh, by him for the good purpose. That's what we've been looking at. Now let's continue from there. Today I want to look at the book of Hebrews chapter 12. The book of Hebrews chapter 12. We'll read from verse, um, let me see the verse, we'll start from, from verse 14. I want to read about 15 verses. It says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no, one, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. See to it that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. And listen to me, people are doing this every day. For you know, sorry, I can't just resist this. this. I have to comment on this quickly. Anytime you are making a choice in life, make sure you are not selling your best right. Make sure you are not selling your destiny. Listen, this is good, materially speaking, physically speaking, and it's better than this. Does not in any way give you um, the impression of what that says concerning the will of God. So you need to specially pray and exercise yourself. For example, you are working at a particular place. They offer you another job which is paying you better than where you were before. Don't just jump and take it. It doesn't always work like that. I hope you're getting my point. Because sometimes you may end up selling your best right. Once I told somebody that, listen, this change you're about to make, even though materially speaking it looks better, but be careful that you're not selling your ability to be influential for God on this earth. People do that a lot of times. People think that, you know, that's a mistake a lot of us make. Let me say something quickly. Listen, I just need to explain this while I continue reading. Satan knows you're a good Christian. He doesn't tempt good Christians with very bad things. You must understand that. If Satan wants to tempt a good Christian, you will not just sit down and one harlot will come and tap your shoulder and say, Sir, I can give you a nice time. He knows that right away, what you will do is what? You will shout, get behind me, what? Satan. He knows that. He will not come to you and say, sir, you are broke. Here is a gun. Let's go and shoot somebody. They will be able to get money. Let's go and kidnap somebody, and you, a little child, and use him for ritual to get money. Listen, sometimes you just have to give credit to even this Satan. He has some sense. He has some sense. Before he starts doing that, he will have dragged you on for a long time on that pathway. When he wants to start, he will start in a very subtle manner. I hope you are getting my point. It's very important because a lot of people think that just because they did not steal, they did not commit adultery, they did not shoot somebody, it does not, they, they just assume that that means that they are not giving to Satan. They are not falling for the temptations of Satan. For most good Christians, Satan doesn't come that way. I mean, think about it. If you were Satan, will you come that way? You see a man, loving husband, dedicated husband, all right, good man, Bible teacher in church, you want to tempt him. You now go and tempt him with a halo. Does it make sense? You give, give him a gun and say, sir, you are broke. Let's just go and block the road and shoot people. Listen to me. You wouldn't do that. And Satan is wise enough not to do that. 
when he wants to, when he wants to tempt, what does he do? He starts with simple things like, let's get you fed. This thing is not so bad. It's just your destiny. Okay, what if you die now? Who will fulfill that destiny? He comes shortly with a morsel of meat. That is what he does. He starts telling you things like, listen, this is how you will do. You will never build a house in your life. We're not saying you should lie. Nobody says we are, we are all Christians. Let's just change the figures a bit. Everybody is doing it. I hope you're getting my point here. Everybody is doing it. And listen, he will make it so clear to you, everybody is doing it. It comes with gentle things. That if you see, if you get this money now, you'll be able to give to the preaching of the gospel. People tell you that they gave a million to the gospel. Have you ever given a million? They tell you that they gave two million to the gospel. Have you ever given even half a million? This is the opportunity to be able to sponsor the gospel of God. That is how he tempts good people. When Satan wants to tempt good people, another way he does is to tempt them with that which is not their business. Maybe one day we should talk about the temptations of Satan. Just look at different ones. You will see that he uses very subtle things. That's what I said the other time, that listen, the closer you walk with God, the stricter his judgment is in your life. I mean that. I don't mean God will just kill you, but what I mean is that little things that everybody will get away with, you won't get away with it. That's how God does it. You are close to him. He looks at a man like um, Moses. After all these years, Moses, if I give you a simple instruction, you should know not to disobey it. Moses did not take anybody's wife. He didn't kill anybody. What did Moses do? God said to him, speak to that rock. He took his rod, struck the rock, something he had done before. And he got results that time. God said, that's not the way this time around. Then he got around and started calling people names. Rebels, rebels, rebels. Listen, God said, and I don't want to start teaching on that now. God said, Moses, it's obvious you are tired. It's obvious. This ministry is no longer for you. Moses said, please, sir. God said, you are tired. Moses said, please, sir. God said, it's time for you to die. You will not enter the promised land. Moses said, please, sir. He said, hey, listen, I don't want to hear any discussion on this matter again. After I had gone to go to beg three times, God said, no, I'm not changing my mind. Now, people did worse things. God forgave them. David killed somebody. God forgave him. Took somebody's wife. God forgave him. Did all kinds of things. God forgave him. What did Ahab not do? Ahab brought idols into Israel. Then when God pronounced judgment, he went and cried. God said, hey, look at how he has humbled himself. God was willing to forgive. What did Israel as a nation not do? God kept forgiving. But Moses, the first time he made a mistake, God said, no, 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 forget it. You are too tired. That was why God seemed to have dealt harshly with him. It's because he was close to God. So the closer you are with the Lord, the more sure you are of your walk with God, the more careful you should, you should be of what appears like small temptations. Like my wife and I were discussing was yesterday. We just, in the house, we were just talking about it. At the point in time, she says something that, why does God judge? But I said, first, listen, my girl, God is always just. I said, but sometimes we're talking about husband and wife matter. Something led to it, okay? I said, but sometimes when God is judging, some of the things he judges, we don't realize it. I was talking about the issue of um, like a woman now, okay? Maybe God, God has said, and this, this is a matter of fact, that he would defend the woman. That's, that's the principle, okay? God is always the defender of the weak. If you're in a relationship, you are the weaker one. Your boss is tough. You are the weaker one. All right, you are, you are, you are, there's a husband, you are the woman, you're supposed to submit to him. If you do what you're supposed to do, God will come up in your defense. That's just the way he works. So sometimes when you feel like you are too strong, you will not take what this man is doing. We won't take, God said, no worry, go and fight the fight. Then win the battle by yourself. 
Then when you, are, when you have returned, you'll be amazed that he will judge you for refusing his help. That's what I'm making. Sometimes, as serious Christians, God even judges us for refusing his help. There are times he says, I have this trouble, I should, kill, I should call this, uh, this person. Your spirit just says, don't call. God will help. Some, the people will now come to you. Sir, you know this man now. Call him now. Your man has said, no, that's the help of man. God says, vain. Let's leave it. Somebody else will come and say, ah, boy, this guy is your friend. Why don't you call? For every Christian, you can call. But for that particular man, if you make that call, God said, there are two things you have done now. One, I specifically told you, don't do something you disobeyed. Secondly, you understand? That's disobedience. Now, you have rejected my help. Two things. So go and see the consequences. From now on, you need, you need to make phone calls in your life. That's what he said to Asa. From now, you do what? You will see wars. Listen, I need to say this because I think that, in fact, that's the main message. God is saying, I need people who are close to me like Moses, who I can use. I need people who walk with me very closely so that they will just be the way Moses was with me. That's how I will discuss matters with them. That no plague will break out on the earth without me giving them details of what is going to happen and telling them what my people need to do to avoid it. I hardly find them. As people are growing in God, they start falling for small, small things, and they start selling their destiny. Let me say to you, as a Christian, you have to make up your mind. Listen, as you are listening to this, make up your mind. That is how my life it will be. If I perish, I perish. You have to get to that point in life that I will walk with God. Because God will, you will get to crossroads once in a while. And God says, make a choice. Whether you will walk closer with me, depend on me, all right? Or you drop off like everybody else. And at those points, it will be a case of if I perish, I perish. You will invest money. People will say, look, just change the figures like this. Rearrange this because of you can you know, save money. If you do like this, the government will hide this one from government. They can't tax it. Go. <laughs> one brother told me once, some people say, do like this now. We'll pay less tax. He said, you want to kill my company here so that I'll never go further than this in life? He said, no, I will pay the tax I'm supposed to pay because I know where I'm going. They do things like that. They will come up, God will say, do it this way. Listen, the flesh will tell you you will perish. The flesh will tell you this is how everybody does it, okay, and they make it. But I'm saying to you, I want you to be different. Listen to me. God is looking for people that he will brag on and he will say, I made this one. I made this one. I made this person. The world did not make him. The world did not make her. Common principles did not make her. Did not make this person. That is, there are times people said that you will die if you go this particular way, if you make these choices for me. They will say, listen, everybody is jumping here to go and make money. They are leaving this city, going to another city, leaving this country, going to another city, another country, so that they can settle materially in life. You will say, I'm not going anywhere. If God cannot bless me here, then let him leave it. It's not like you are gluten for punishment, but certain principles that God will have given you in your life will let you know that this is the right choice for me, for me to make now. I can't stop using the story of our brother to give an illustration. Walking in the secondary school, he got a job in a bank. The bank said, come. Then he just saw where, where I wrote on, what was the name of the book again? Don't quit the army. He just saw what I wrote. There were, I, didn't, I wasn't talking to him directly. I didn't know, didn't know he had to make that choice in his life. But he looked at it. The word spoke to him that currently you are in a particular military position for me. Living here will be abandoning the post I placed you in because you want to get more money. 
Let me tell you something. It doesn't mean that next day, you know, the kind of testimony we like is this. After that, doors began to open for him. Doors began to open for him. Listen to me, no serious door has opened since that time. I hope you are getting my point. The young man will still have to manage his life. And that's what I talk about, godliness with contentment. That's what I mean when I talk about godliness with contentment. People think that once you just obey God, he will just bless you. No, it's not true. It's not true. I pray Christians will get it. The fact that you have obeyed God does not guarantee any special blessing. Are you getting my point there? That it's not as if hey, I refuse to compromise. Now look at it. Now God now give me a land cruiser. You are going to have a leg cruiser. I hope I get my point. You are going to be moving on your feet for refusing to compromise and not for one year, not for two. Let me just advise you. Don't just look at that refusal to compromise as a reason why God must do something. If you want him to do something, simply ask him to do something. I hope you're getting my point here. If you want him to do something, ask him. Don't even put it in your mind that because I did what is right, God will do something. Do what is right and forget it. I hope you're getting my point here. It's so important you understand what I'm going to explain. The young man who came to me that day, very interesting story. I tell you once in a while. He described how he worked in righteousness as a student. As a Christian leader, he refused, and listen to me, everybody was taking advantage of their position, turning their stones to bread, leaving the place rich with hundreds of thousands, over a million naira in their hands as students. It became his turn, and he refused to do it. And let me, if you are listening to me today, especially if you, are, you have eyes for politics and stuff like that, God said, I'm looking for people who will enter into government office and they will not think they are supposed to get rich. They will not think they are supposed to buy a house. They will not think, listen, that is, it's just a job. Go and do it for me. I hope you're getting my point. The young man said he did all of that. So I was waiting for the question. So by the time he left, he was broke. He had built a fellowship strong and all of that. So I said, what, where, what is the problem? He said, till now, God has not done anything for him. I looked at him like, what? Am I hearing you right? I said, what was God supposed to do for you? I, I, I was wondering because this is a small boy. He still he has not finished NYSE. What is God supposed to do? Because you did, okay, let's assume you did that for two years. You did two years of righteousness. If I know that I'm thinking about it, I said, this calculation must have been very bad in this guy's mind. He didn't do accounting well. Two years of righteousness, what should God do for you? I thought you at least you would do righteousness for like 20 years. Then we'll be negotiating whether he will do something, he won't do something. I mean, God has not thrown you to the wilderness for 40 years, like he did to Moses. And you are saying you should do something? God has not thrown you into jail like um, Joseph. Joseph, from the time they took him from his father's house till he finally came out of that prison, was nothing less than 13 years. What have you done? Then I looked at the young man and I said, I'm waiting for the problem because I can't see any problem yet. That God has not done anything for him. His friend, he referred to his friends who were into internet fraud, all this um, hacking and all of that, and they are making money. So he felt that since I did not do that, God should do something. I, listen, I, know, I told you that I think my name will soon be Prophet of Doom and I don't mind I told him something. I said, listen, go and mark all those your friends, all, all those your friends down. All of them. Every, every single one of them will die young or become poor in old age. 
I said, go and mark it down. Not one of them will fail what I have said. They will either die young or be poor in old age. I said, there's no other choice. What you have just done is to deliver yourself from judgment. And God should pay you. It's like fire is born. Everybody's running. He said, I ran away from the fire, sir. What will you give me? I don't know whether you are getting my point. The fire is burning. You ran away from the fire. Because I was the one that warned you about the fire. I was the one that blew the alarm, sounded the alarm. I said, fire, fire, everybody run. So you ran. After running 500 meters, you are now panting. Say, sir, see how I ran. Because you said run. You will bless me now. You know, I'm going to take you and throw you back into the fire. (laughs) I warned you that fire is about to destroy you. It destroyed other people that had not heed my warning. Now I should bless you for escaping from the fire. How does that make sense to you? I said, the young man that day, I said, God has so blessed you. Look at you. You are sitting in front of me. You are not dead. And you are here complaining. I said, my brother, you have done nothing worthy of reward. Nothing. Nothing. Do you know, I found reading my scriptures that Paul said something. That for preaching the gospel the way I was preaching it, he said, there's no reward. I, you know, the day I read it, I was surprised. That there's no reward. He said, necessity is laid upon me. He said, whoa, I've just escaped woe by preaching the gospel. He said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. So by preaching it, by suffering, moving up and down, I've just escaped. I've es- that's all I've done. Escaped woe. And I said, if I want any bragging thing, this was the extra I needed to put in. He told them, I will preach it for no cost. And that was why he refused a lot of times to be supported by the people he was ministering to. So that's the only thing I have to boast about. A friend of mine once, he was doing some things for some people. And they were really misbehaving. I said, maybe you should charge them for it. He said, that is true. He said, the only problem is that they will take away my boast. I understood what he was saying. He said, they will take away my boast. <laughs> I told the young man that day, I said, my brother, forget that thing. No. You have not done anything. Just go, to, go back and go and find a way to obey God more. Many people are selling their best rice today. That's the point I'm making. Where, where, where did we stop reading? Verse what? I couldn't just help myself. I just needed to say that. Verse 16. He says, See to it that there be no immoral or godly person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought, it, he sought for it with tears. Let's bear that in mind. Let's not sell our birthrights. That's what I'm saying. When many of us will sell the birthright, it will not be for great things. People oftentimes think it's those who got a billion dollars that sold their birthright. Esau did not get a billion dollars. Esau got just a plate of food. Does that not scare you? <laughs> ah, the more I read the scriptures, the more the Lord gives me the ability to teach it, the more I get, pardon me to use the expression, I get scared. When not for the grace of God, eh, I really will be terrified. Before this, you will think that those who are selling their birthrights, they are getting big things. So many of us, not knowing that we are already selling, 
are still feeling righteous because nobody gave us a billion naira. People routinely sell their birthright for 500 naira, a plate of food. Recharge card, 1,005. People do it all the time. And they will be self-righteous looking at one politician that was arrested for stealing 500 million naira. One public servant that was arrested is on trial for stealing 2.5 billion. I will be feeling very self-righteous, not knowing that that man had more sense. He sold for a big for big money. <laughs> we sold our whole destiny for a thousand naira for a job that pays fifty thousand naira a month. People sell their destiny. <clears throat> Let's be careful. The subtle things of life. That's the place where we often lose it. It's not the big things. It's the little areas. That's where we often lose it. Well, I will get back there to explain those things. Let's continue reading. We need to finish reading this. It says, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire. I'm in verse 18 now. And to darkness and gloom and whirlwind. And to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that, that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, Moses had told them, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Instead of all of this, this is what you have come to, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly, and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. We're stopping in verse um, 28. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who won them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who wants from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet one more, denotes the removing of those things that can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, he says, since we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, I've read this at length, and I feel, let me just quickly read one more. Matthew chapter 7. Please quickly flip over there with me. Matthew chapter 7. I feel the cry of the heart of the Lord right now. That he's saying, I need people. Bear that in mind. And my call in this teaching is, will you be one of those he will find? Matthew chapter 7. I'm reading from verse 24. It's a portion we know very well. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine 
and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that rock, and yet it did not fall, for he had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, And the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, I'm going to stop reading that one there. Now, those two portions of the Bible are the foundation for the things I'm going to be speaking about today in continuation in our series, um, The Select Ones Whom God Uses. Now, I said something last time, and I need to say it again. We have to work deliberately on abiding in Christ. The fact that you gave your life to Christ does not mean you are abiding in him. I need to say that again. The fact that you claim that you gave your life to Christ does not mean right now you are abiding in him. If it meant that automatically, the Lord Jesus would not have taken time out to explain to to people that abide in me. When he says, listen, I always say it this way. The Lord does not command concerning that which will have happened naturally. I hope you're getting my point. That is, what I mean is this. God will not tell you anytime you jump up, make sure you come down. He knows that anyone that jumps up, will come down. That happens naturally. Anytime you see an instruction from the Lord, know that the opposite will be the temptations of life. If he says, don't have any other God beside me, just know that other gods will come and stand and be whistling for your attention. I hope you're getting my point. That one is natural. If he says to you, that shall not steal, what it means is that hunger will come upon you one day, and you will see the opportunity to take that which belongs to somebody else, and your flesh will say, go ahead and take it. Please, follow me. So anytime Jesus takes time out to command concerning something, like when he says, abide in me, what he's saying is this. Natural life will take you to the place where you will not be in me anymore, but you'll be outside. Natural life will push you to the point where you will not find yourself inside me. So you have to work. If you are not working to stay in me, you are dropping out of me gradually. That's what he said. Please follow me. That's how this life is. Christianity, you know, one of the things mistakes we make, all right, in dealing with ourselves as Christians. Now, please, let me take a digression. Okay, even though I was planning to get there, but it just came to my mind now, so let me just quickly do that. There's a teaching we have as believers. I've heard it before. I believed it at a time. After a while, I forgot about it. Then people began to bring it again into no prominence. And that caused me to think about it again. And I realized that I don't believe it anymore. Now, this is what I'm going to say. The impression we are given, please follow me. That once you answer an altar call, you are saved and you are safe. Please, that, that statement cannot be true. If that statement was true, the Bible would not be full of warnings. I, I hope you're getting my point. The scriptures are so full of warnings that you should know that there's something to warn about. For example, he said, let him that thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls. What does that tell you? Those who are so sure they are standing are the ones that are likely to fall. That is the person who says that, ah, 
Let me ch- check that I don't fall. Is the one that's likely to keep standing. The one that sits down and just brags on the fact that I'm standing and nothing can take me away. And with this kind of finality, is the one that's at risk. There's a way you can brag well, both in the strength of the Lord that I know he can keep me standing. That's a different thing. You can see this one. He's keeping me standing. Not that I have stood and I cannot fall. I hope you're getting my point. God has to constantly keep people on a daily and a regular basis. And you have to work with him on a regular basis to ensure that you are kept. Because the impression, you see, sometimes, like I said, I want to explain this properly. Sometimes we just stick with the fact that he answered an altar call 10 years ago. So the person is a Christian. My friend, Pastor Kroji, will say, look, stop judging people by how you knew them those days. Between 10 years ago and today, many things will have transpired. I hope you're getting my point. I mean, look at the example I gave you that day. I mentioned the name of this man preaching here. I watched him on international TV, bragging on his Christianity. His ancestors were, you know, prominent ministers. People quoted till today. Please, I hope you're getting my point. So because I quoted him, I mentioned him, and I said, let me just go and verify something. So I went online. And what came out to me, different reports, quotes from his mouth, I could even watch it on YouTube if I wanted, but I didn't bother. Was that the man said he is no longer a Christian and that he no longer believes in God. I hope you're getting my point here. Somebody said to me, now if you like, believe this lie, but it's a lie. They say even if he says that this grace of God is so big, Jesus will not let him go. If that makes sense to you, me and you are not thinking on the same base. You are thinking base 11, I'm on base 10. Like I said, it's like marriage. God does not, he said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And the two of them will become one flesh. And whatever God has joined together, let no one put asunder. And he said, I, don't, he said, I hate divorce. He said so. However, he still says people can divorce. What I'm trying to say is that it can happen in life. There are people for certain reasons. It doesn't mean they are right. They can get up and walk away from their husbands, walk away from their wives, and people do it every day. That's how it is. If somebody decides that, listen, I'm tired of Jesus, he does not force anybody. He doesn't. But one thing I want to say, which is very important, is this. Sometimes, why not that I'm a preacher? Some of these discussions, I don't like getting involved in them. What do I mean? There are people I don't discuss with, really. For example, if a man comes to me and wants to start arguing on whether God allows us to marry two wives or not, you know, I feel like you and me are not on the same frequency. We are not pursuing the same goal in life. If our discussion is still on, should I marry two wives or I shouldn't marry two wives, I feel like our Christianity is not using the same cord. <laughs> if that's your problem, because you see, you want to obey laws you still don't understand the mind of God. And really, right now, I don't, und- I don't have time for your type. And when not that I'm a preacher, people like that, I wouldn't talk to you at all. I wouldn't even address such issues. I said, go, go and take your second wife. It's not my business. Because I just believe that when you are serious about some things, there are issues that should be beyond discussing, that even if they were allowed. Do you follow my point? Like I say, like a joke, that if God says, Banky, you have really, really worked. You have labored for me. You have preached this gospel. I like your life, your life of holiness. 
righteousness. Now, I'm just assuming, I'm not trying to brag that my life of holiness or righteousness is outstanding. I'm just trying to say, assuming God came to tell me that. You are like Job, the greatest of all the men in the East. Good enough, I'm in the East. I hope you get my point. <laughs> so for that, I shall give you two extra wives. You know what I will say to him? That thank you, Lord. I really appreciate it. But Israel will take one. Felix will take the other. They, have, they walk with me. They can, <laughs> they can take the wives. I, 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 I don't need. I hope you're getting my point. That even if you were to come and give to me, I would say, Lord, there's no need. Ask the other men whether they are interested. And it's okay if there's a bishop. Just give him two. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. Why? Because having worked with him all these years and read through the scriptures, I know his mind. And I know that is not a blessing. So even if it was allowed, do you get my point? It wouldn't be necessary. Now, the point I'm going to make is this. So when someone comes and starts arguing with me that, okay, let, oh, I have a very good example. One day I was, talking to, I was chatting with some people, a chat group, and... Somebody now told me something that their church, an Orthodox church, that cigarette smoking is not outlawed as long as you don't do it in excess. So I said, can you, and a lot of people there are medical people. I said, can you please define for me what is excess when it comes to drinking poison? I don't know what I get my point. I said, can you explain to me the safe limit in drinking poison? If something is fundamentally poisonous, has no advantage how do you define the safe limit? They all got my point. I said, th- thank God for what your church is saying. But I just want to know. Many of you are in the same profession here. Explain to me the safe limit. Because I know there are major types of lung cancer. Only one of them is found in non-smokers. That is, if we stop cigarette smoking on this earth today, 90% of lung cancers will disappear. The only one type is not even the majority. I know that. I know if we stop cigarette smoking today, 99% of throat cancer, lip cancer, tongue cancer will vanish. If we stop cigarette smoking on the earth today, more than half of cancer of the kidney and the bladder will disappear. If we stop cigarettes, so please, how do you explain to me the safe end? Now, this is where I'm going. So sometimes Christians come. The Bible said we shouldn't smoke. I always said, no, 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 you didn't say so. And I said it before, I'm one of those that the Bible, I, I said boldly, the Bible never said cigarette smoking is a sin. What it just said, that only fools do it. As Bible, no, as the Bible said, okay, look, we're on the top of a building here. Has the Bible ever said, don't jump from up, go down the steps? Is it a sin to climb up from upstairs? The Bible said that, listen, if you are going down and you're on the third floor of a building, thou shall use the staircase and if the building has a lift, that shall enter the lift. And if it has an escalator, you shall enter the escalator and let it roll it gently down. Have you ever seen that scripture like that? Oh. Matthew chapter 45, verse 28 says, When you want to cross the road, look left. Look right. Look left again. Is that in your Bible? Or is it Revelation chapter 32? Psalm 168. These things are not in the scriptures, but we have enough sense to know. When we want to cross the road, we will stop. You look left, you look right, and you look left again. And you teach it to your children. 
all my children, my wife and I, will take time out to show them how to cross the road. Because you don't want them to cross into the path of a moving vehicle. There is no scripture that says that. So when somebody comes to me and says, which verse of the Bible says we can't smoke? I will not answer you. I say, no, 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 it's not a sin. Please go and smoke. The only thing that please, when you come to my house, don't, don't bring your cigar. Don't smoke in the presence of my children. In fact, from now on, me and you are not friends. Ah, I've left my message, but it happens once in a while. See, they are legalizing India and all over the world. Okay? Let me tell you the truth. Madness will increase all over the places. Listen, it's medically... These pe- people don't tell the truth. It's a medical fact that if you smoke in their hemp, you are more likely to have mental problems. This is how they was allowed cigarette smoking all over the world. After many decades, now I say it causes this. I say, is it not funny? You can ban cocaine, you can ban cigarettes. See the hypocrisy of human beings. If I were the president of the country, I will ban smoking cigarettes. Executive order. Ban the production, the importation, the distribution. If, that is, if you distribute it in the country where I'm head, why don't people do it? It's money. Because cigarette smoking kills more people than cocaine. Because it's legal. Cigarettes don't kill you all of a sudden. Little by little. It kills you from inside. Lung cancer till today has no form of treatment. And I don't understand the, why we don't have the wisdom, the boldness to say, no, enough of tax, this one. They'll be doing all kinds of methods, you know, to try. I mean, I don't understand. The point I'm making, please, let me sit on my message, is that there are arguments I don't think serious people should get involved in. If you want to marry two wives, go ahead. The two, the second one that's wise enough, that's foolish enough to join you as a Christian in your home, and the first one that does not pack and leave you when that one comes in, is them that, that are having fun with you, not me. Because a Christian woman, a Christian woman, a Christian woman, who might be a Christian man, if the man takes a second wife, the Bible demands to get out of the house. I get into my second wife matter. <laughs> the point I'm making is this: Listen, I'm talking about serious Christianity. Serious Christianity. Serious Christianity. That's what God is, is calling us to. That's the, that's what God is calling us to. So when now nah, this this is why I got into it. So when people start arguing with me that can I lose my salvation? My question is that: Do you plan to? I don't know whether you're getting my point. If you mean that you committed this sin, and, now listen to this, listen to this, and you are afraid, I will give you the scripture, which is the word of God. Confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin, you understand, and cleanse you of all what? Unrighteousness. You have not lost your salvation. In fact, it is people like you that don't have that confidence that are safer. They are the ones that are safer. They are the ones that God can bless. They are the ones that he can keep. They are the ones that are walking with, you know, trembling before the Lord. They are the ones that truly have reverence. 
The ones that stand, now listen to me, if you want to know that you have already lost your salvation, listen to how you will know. When you stand, you continue walking in iniquity. Your conscience does not speak to you. You don't feel bad whatsoever. You just enjoy it. And then you now quote the scripture that whatever the Lord does shall be forever. That it's, it is eternal life. I heard somebody say, what Jesus did is called eternal. You start quoting those things for me. That's how you know you have lost it. Because if the seed of God actually abides in you, how can you sleep when you are walking in sin? You will not be looking for who will give you the assurance. You will be on your face saying, Lord, don't cast me away from your presence. Didn't you hear what David said? The sacrifice of God is a contrite spirit. A broken heart, not a confident heart. What we like now is the sacrifice of God is a confident heart. Who knows what Jesus has done? So he's the pastor of a church. He's impregnating the girls. They are murdering unborn children for him. And he says, my salvation is intact. Pastor, you lost it long ago. You don't realize it. And listen to me. Why will anybody even want to argue this with me? Now, what I'm going to say is this. Once I was on radio, and I said something, that repentance is what God is asking for. That I, don't, I just said, you can't, some people will go to church, they think that once they go for confession and they go for communion, that they are okay. I said it doesn't work like that. One man called me, he's a Catholic, he felt like I've come into the Catholic, you know, doctrine area. And I said, no, no, what I'm saying is not, I said, what is wrong with what I've said? Because listen to me, I grew up a Catholic, I have, very, I have devout Catholic friends, Brethren, and what I've said, they have never disagreed with it. That no, I said, What are you saying? That somebody will take continue in sin? Is there not a reason why the church will say, the Catholic church will say, if you are living in adultery, you can't take communion? They did not know you can go for confession. <laughs> why did they say that you are not living the state of grace? I said, Listen. It was, I said, listen, my brother, stop. You know, there are some arguments you wonder why Christians get involved in. That's why I told the whole story about cigarette smoking and all of that. that you, I can't be arguing with you now. Where? Well, Gamaline 20. So if I drink, it will God be angry? No, 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 no. He won't be angry. He will receive you gladly, quickly. Okay, the, okay. Modern people don't know Gamaline 20. What they know is sniper. Okay, okay. When we were young, it was Gamaline 20. People drank Gamaline 20 to kill, because that was the insecticide. You know, that was common those days, Gamalin 20. Now a sniper. Be arguing with me, Pastor. If I drink sniper, will God be angry? No. Angry? No. I mean, if your son says he's coming home, will you be angry? <laughs> Go and drink the sniper. Like one woman said that the Holy Spirit asked her once, How would you like your funeral to be? <laughs> okay, that was all led to the discussion. My wife and I were having yesterday when I told her the story. So that's what I'm going to do to you. I say, hey, bro, bro, sniper, please, how would you like your funeral to be? Show me the scripture that says I can't do sniper. No, no, it's not there. It's not there. The, the one that was dead, they've removed it. The last World Council of Churches meeting, we agreed, whatever we shall bind on it, we bound it that that scripture won't be there again. Thou shalt drink sniper. Go. Do I have your time? That's the same way I don't have time with anybody arguing with me. On whether, listen to me, 
whether Christians who are walking in sin are losing their salvation or not. I feel like, is that what we should be discussing? Didn't you read what the Bible says? The Bible is calling us to a deeper walk with God. You want me to be discussing whether those who are going backwards are safe? Are you out of your mind? I think you don't have a ministry as a pastor. If you sit on Sunday and take an hour to explain to people that no matter how much sin they commit, they don't have a problem with God. You should go to hell actually. Because I see pastors do it. Or for the revelation in the scripture, you will take an hour to prove to people that no matter the sin they commit, their salvation is intact. Instead of you to shout to them, come out from amongst them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing and I will be a father unto you. That's not what God said. Paul said, Peter said, if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. You are discussing those whose qualities are not there. The little that's there is depleting. And you have time to be explaining to them that God, I heard a preacher, I used to, I used to quote, in fact, one day one brother said that, I heard you quote this man. I said, please, it was a mistake. I told him I don't quote him anymore. Because the first set of messages of his I got, beautiful blessed me. The next set will take an hour time to prove that God is not the one judging you. It's Satan. God is not the one causing sickness. It is Satan. That God is not the one. God does not punish anybody. That God has promised he will never, never rebuke any of his children. Take one scripture out of context. What about all the other scriptures where God said, judge yourself so I don't have to judge you? Is that not New Testament? I was reading one of my books recently. I saw where I mentioned his name. I wiped it out. You take an hour and be trying to explain to people. I was talking to my wife today. I said, no problem the world has. Listen to me. I will say it. I know a lot of people won't agree. But I'm not a servant of man. Right now, the world is under the judgment of God. People say that what the world needs now is the ability to bring out, the church needs to bring out treatment for coronavirus. It's a lie. What the church needs now, what the world needs, is to get on his knees and repent. You know, we have treated God in such a manner that nobody fears him. Nobody has any regard for him. When evil comes, he says, it's not God. Listen, I'll tell you something many people don't believe. But you know the good side? Many people are preaching it now. Anyway, the other day, my wife showed me a, 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 a collection of videos. Somebody joined together to show preachers. I said, God, thank you. Preachers like this exist, talking about God's judgment, how people need to repent. Let me say to you, when the tsunami hit Bandarache, when that tsunami hit and destroyed a huge part of Indonesia, Thailand, many of those surrounding nations, I, I give you the word of God. God said, they provoked me to anger. So I sent my angel into the midst of the ocean, and I tell you, hit the bottom of the ocean. And one angel struck the bottom of the ocean, and the earth there cracked. And 250,000 and more people died in the next 24 hours. He said, I, the Lord, I did this. And it's not my first time. Have you forgotten what I did to the whole earth when they offended me perpetually? I gave them time. It took Noah over a hundred years to build his ark, but they would not repent. So I wiped every single one of them out, apart from Noah and his family. 
Listen, when Corona broke out on the earth, it started in December in China. As at October, a prophet has said, I have his name, just want to quote it now, that God said he's going to release his judgment beginning before the end of the year. The Lord said it. The prophet said it, listen, that the Lord said, before this year is over, that was 2019, I will release my judgment on the earth. But it will just last for a few months. But you know the problem the world has? The church keeps on telling them, God does not judge people, he does not kill people. And you pastors that are saying that, you better stop talking. That's all I have to say. Because I have this strong sense in me that you are displeasing God. And that you know. It's just that you like to avoid reading the whole counsel of God. You, like, you avoid reading the whole counsel of God. It's written for you clearly all over the scriptures. And but because you have said something for 20 years, 30 years, you don't want to unsay it now. It's a sign of a real man, a real man of God, a real woman of God, to say I was wrong, I'm sorry, that we keep learning. When you say what is not right concerning the Lord, he's not happy about it. Go and read the story of Job. He said, I'm, I'm angry with your friends. Why? They didn't say what was right about me. That's what God said. So preachers, please go and learn. If you don't know, go and learn. Don't learn from me. Don't learn from anybody. Just speak your Bible. And read it. Begin from Genesis. Just mark any area where God says, I'm, I'm angry. I'm going to discipline people. Mark all the areas where he says, I cause hurt. I curse people. I kill. You see, they are all over. By the time you finish reading to Revelation, you will have at least, if it is small, you will have at least 150 references. I think you have more than 300, actually. If you want to be strict and use the ones where he said, I, the Lord, I do these things. He said, I'm about to, you know, there are scriptures I see. I say, ah, how can people say God does not? He said, I'm about to invent evil against these people. The day I saw that one, I said, eh? This is not allowed. You know, we used to say he only allows. God said, no, no, this one, I know you people will preach that I allow. Let me use another word. He said, now I'm about to invent evil against these people. That is the kind of thing I'm about to do to them. Nobody has done it to anybody before now. And please, because we're talking about a serious walk with God, abiding in Christ. Listen to me, people of God. God is trying to pick people that he can use. Listen to me. You will not die in this epidemic. You won't die in this pandemic. You will not. God said, what is going on right now is that I'm shaking the earth. Please, don't let anybody, you know, listen, it's not today. Prophets come against prophets when things like this happen. Jeremiah got up and spoke. Hananiah said it's a lie. Jeremiah said, follow the king of Babylon. You'll be in captivity for 70 years. Hananiah said, at the end of two years, this whole thing will be all over. Jeremiah wore a yoke. Hananiah broke it from his neck. He said, thus says the Lord. This is how I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. You know what Jeremiah said? Me too, I wish it like that. He left. The Lord said, go and tell him. He broke the yoke of wood. I, the Lord, will replace it with one made of iron. 
And he turned to Ananias and said, because you have instigated rebellion against the Lord, this year you will die. So it's not a new thing when prophets, listen, you must understand something. In the Old Testament, they were prophets. There are still prophets in the New Testament, I know, okay? But I want to bring out something. Peter said, just as there were false prophets amongst them, he said, so will false teachers arise amongst you. What does that tell you? In modern day, in modern Christianity, the main problem is with false teachers. So, expect teachers to say the one thing, and that set of teachers to say the other thing, and they will be conflicting with one another. But I dare you to pick your scriptures and read these things for yourselves. Whether these things are not so. What am I going to say? God says, I am the one shaking the earth right now. It is not the devil. It is not Satan. Satan himself is shaking, knowing that his time is near. Once again, that's why we read that to Hebrews chapter 12. Once again, he says, I will shake the heavens and I will shake the earth. And I'm saying to you, people of God, that the Lord is shaking the earth right now. We read another portion of the scriptures where Jesus said that shaking will come. He said, but whoever is built on the rock will not be carried away by the storm with which the earth will be shaken. I hope you're getting my point here. That what matters is that each believer ensures that he or she is built on the rock. Because this shaking, a wave will come. It will go. But another wave that is higher will show up again. I said on Tuesday that what God is doing, you must understand. <laughs> he said the iniquity of the house of Jeroboam cannot be atoned for by sacrifice. What God is saying right now is that there is no prayer the saints want to pray that I will listen that says I should not shake the earth. There's nothing like that. He said to Jeremiah, go and call Moses, call Samuel. Let them join this prayer team. I won't listen. I believe that word is relevant in this season. I said on Tuesday, for those who can, please get the message we preached on Tuesday. What did we title that one? Yes. Yeah, about um, the Passover. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the plagues of life and the Passover protection we have in Christ. Now, the point I'm making is this. God says, listen, I'm shaking the earth. Nobody can stop it. It's only the reaction of the people of Nineveh that can stop this one. It's only the reaction of the people of Nineveh that can stop this one. There is no way. There is no other way. There is no other way. So the church wants that kind of reaction. This is where I'm going. They have to be bold to declare to the people. You can't get up and be telling people, it's not God. It's the devil. And you expect them to repent. Then they turn around and say, where was Voltron when the aliens were attacking? Where was our Superman? Where was our Batman? Public defenders. That's what God is. He's supposed to just defend us. Let us tell them the truth. We have lied to them long enough. God does not just defend people. He hurts people who persistently disobey him. 
And right now, he's hurting them. Sometimes it comes in very painful. Sometimes it comes in very, very painful. Personally, I was pained today when I read the news of the passing of our chief of staff. Personally, I was pained. I, don't, I was telling my wife, why is this thing hurting me so badly? Let us go to him and pray. You know what Israel said? He has hurt us, but he will also heal us. He has wounded us, he said. He said, but he will heal. The church needs to arise and be a voice for God. And stop lying to the world. Listen, what am I preaching today? <laughs> when God is shaking the earth, safety is in being founded on the rock. I said last time, how do we abide in Christ? I feel like going that, over that again because it's so important. Safety is being founded firmly on the rock. The Lord Jesus said, how do you plant yourself on that rock? How do you plant yourself on this rock? He said, you hear these sayings of mine and you do them. We said, the plagues of God cannot enter into Christ. What is Christ? Christ is the place you are which every entrance is painted with the blood of Jesus. Even if God sends that angel of death, it can't get in there. If enemies fire arrows, those arrows can't come in there. The judgment, the anger, the wrath of God stops outside. So Jesus said, have you heard that? Do you understand me? And when they said, he said, so abide in me. And we said, how do you abide in Christ? That he has given instructions, beginning from Genesis, all the way to Revelation. He has given instructions which we, take, we must take heed to each one, we must make sure we, are, we pay attention to every one of those instructions. One of our sisters asked me a question. He said, what does it mean to be perfect, sir? As your father in heaven is perfect. I said, the answer is simple. It means to do everything, listen to this, in a manner that pleases him and never give any excuse for doing the opposite. That's what it means to be perfect. There will be temptations to do the opposite. But never give those excuses. If it is right, we do it. The consequences, the will of God. How do we abide in him? It is to go to Genesis and find his instructions in Genesis and do them. It is to go to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, on and on and on till we get to Malachi and find his instructions for us because they are talked all over the place and we do them. It's to start from Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Acts, Romans and go all the way to Revelation and do them. Two things. One, we actively search for them. You know what's one thing that Moses said to the people of Israel? He said, these words I'm giving you today, 
They are not idle words. You know what they said to them? They are your life. They are not idle words. This is for you the source of life. For us New Testament believers, the whole counsel of God is for us the source of life. So what do we do? We don't wait for somebody to come and beg us. We get up by ourselves to look for instruction in every aspect of our lives. That is how we abide in Christ. That is how we survive the shaking. That God will continually shake the earth. One thing I have noticed every time God does something major, they come minimum three in succession. (laughs) What do I mean? When I say major, I mean major bad thing. I don't mean major breakthrough. The last epidemic, go and check. Same thing. From 2018, from 1918 to 1920. Three things went together. World War, epidemic, economic collapse. These spirits follow each other. What I'm saying is that if this epidemic dies down, it's not yet to huru. In Rwanda then, I mean, I was, I was big enough. I think I'll finish NYC, yes. So I watched the Rwandan problem. Which year was that again? 90 what? 94, yes. Huh. Okay, I'm not finished NYC. I was in Lagos that time watching CNN. What struck me was that after friends, neighbors, hacked each other to death, killing 800,000 by hand in three months. Cholera just completed it. Cholera just say, because if you see, the riders of the horses, one was giving power to make men kill themselves. And that was giving power to kill with pestilence. Two of them, at least I'm aware of. Of course, the third one will always follow. Economy will collapse. Farming will set in. Who's there to farm? Everybody's dead. Three things. I, I watched it happen. What am I trying to say? No matter what comes next, there's only one safety for people. That is what? Being planted in Christ. How are you planted on the rock? The same thing we said last time. We're talking about abiding in Christ. How are we planted? Whoever hears these words of mine. Listen, if you claim you gave your life to Christ, and you are still living life the same way you lived it before that time. You are not yet saved though. They just gave you a visa. You haven't traveled. Because your airport is still closed. I like one thing he said about the prodigal son. He said, your brother was alive. Now he has begun to live. So that's he was alive. Your brother was dead, I wanted to say. But now he has begun to live. It is a now he's alive. No, 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 no. He has started the process of living. Living is a process. The boy had just commenced it. When we talk about repentance, people say that when you give your life to Christ, you, 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 you are born again by believing. By faith alone. <laughs> I still remember the man that called me on radio. 
to read the scripture to me that salvation is by faith. And I'm saying it's by works. I felt like saying that, oh boy, are you calling me from Canada where smoking is legal? Because if you're calling from Nigeria, you should know, my, you should know what I'm saying. There's what is called the whole counsel of God. Never forget it. The whole counsel of God means you read Paul, you read James. You read the so-called Old Testament, which is not the proper terminology. It means the, what, the portion of your Bible, for just, just want to learn it, from Genesis to Malachi, it's not called Old Testament. The real Old Testament is a covenant that God made with Israel on Sinai, which he gave them a total of 613 laws, commandments, ordinances, and rules and regulations. That's the one that passed away. Now, let me just quickly drop something. That it passed away doesn't mean that anything you, anything you see inside there, you will now do the opposite. I don't know whether you're getting my point. <laughs> say, that shall have no other God before me. Say, no, the Old Testament has passed away, so we'll now have seven gods besides him. You'll soon die. Oh. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. That's not what he's saying. What he's just saying that there are certain ordinances and rules and regulations that God needed to carve them out for himself as a special people. For example, they had ordinances, rules, regulations concerning animal sacrifices. But if you sacrifice any animal today to the Lord, you have insulted the blood of Jesus. I hope you're getting my point there. So it's not as if you are just saying, well, the one we like, we take, the one we don't know. Anything that's been fulfilled in Christ are the ones that passed away. So many things were the types of Christ. The way they did their sacrifices, the way they went into the temple and all of that. But there are certain things that are eternal rules that were there before then. I hope you're getting my point. Okay? Now, so Paul, both Jesus and Paul taught about it, taught it, talking about what they call the spirit of the law. So we look for the spirit of every law and abide by the spirit of the laws of the old covenant. Even if we are not literal in abiding to the physical laws, like if they said to them, bring a haifa of this particular age, we know that that is Jesus that has been sacrificed for us. If they tell you, for example, you cannot plow with a mule, you understand? And uh, maybe with a, with a horse and a cow at the same time. It was against the law. We know you must not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do you get my point? So those are types. So we see the spirit of them. So when you are going to a binding partnership, make sure the person, not only marriage, don't rent a house with an unbeliever. Christians don't know that thing. They think it's only marriage. You want to rent a two-bedroom flat. The guy who's taking one room because you don't have enough money, an unbeliever takes one room, you take the second room, you are breaking the law of God. You are plowing with a donkey and a cow at the same time. They now start complaining that he brings girls, he brings Ashewos to his room. You should have known when he wanted to rent, that's what he would do. So we know those rules. But let me finish my, my, my exegesis there. So you find out that from Genesis to Revelation is called literally the law and the prophets. Or if you want to give the full meaning, the, the full expression, is the law, the prophets, and the writings. They did not pass away. Everyone has instructions for us. The gospel was first preached by the prophets. So we have an assignment to go in there and start reordering our lives in such a manner as to fulfill everything that God wrote inside there for us. 
Let me quickly drop this. That's what is called repentance. That is what is called what? Repentance. Repentance, it means that I had an operating system. I have changed the operating system. I have now put a new operating system on my life. That is, my life is like the hard disk, it's like the computer. That is what is called repentance. There's a second side to it. When I start running programs on finances in my life, I get the app from God OS, you know, God Store. Can I use that? <laughs> you know, you have Apple Store, you have Google Play Store. There's what is called Jesus App Store. So how do I run my marriage? I will go to Jesus App Store and download all the programs it has there for running my marriage. And I can do it now because I have first have installed the Grace OS on my system. So I now take his word concerning marriage, I install. His word concerning finances, I install. His word concerning how to do my business, I install. His word concerning my career, concerning health, concerning everything, including how even I exercise. You know, <laughs> I believe in exercising. I, I do, I do. I don't do much of it these days, you know, going around jogging and all of that. But I actually believe in it. Because he has what? He has what? Tiny profit. So sometimes you can collect the tiny one. So there was a time I wanted to collect the tiny one, pretending to myself that it was a big one. So early in the morning, and I'm, I'm, I may be self-conscious in that area. I don't like, as if we run around, when I'm driving past, I said, it looks to me like you are jobless. Are you <laughs> getting my point? So even if I'm jobless, I'd rather stay at home and not show like I'm jobless publicly. So I'm kind of self-conscious. So I like to leave my house very early and be back before sunrise. So I used to do that. Out of the house very early. I will have done one hour of running around like Satan before. You say, why Satan? From where are you coming? Running to and fro. I will have gone down the hill. You know, Enugu is hilly. You know? I used to like going down that car wash area, go down, run up the hill and everything. Before the sun, of course, sunrise early in Enugu, before it really gets really out, I'm back in the house. I did that for some time. I don't know how many weeks. Then one day, I won't say the Holy Spirit, because sometimes your soul talks to you. I will say to my soul, so... My soul now called me. I said, Banky, sit down. What is the best time of the day to study, meditate, and pray? I said, early hours of the morning. I said, that's the time you start, you'll be running up and down. <laughs> you run up and down like Satan? You know, that day I stopped. Nothing wrong with running up and down. But I said, no, 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 no. If I can get up, I should use it to pray. If I can get up, I should declare the word of God over my life. If I can get up, I said, I will now find time that there's nothing else to do and now go and run. Why? Because this word is my life. Running is not my life. When I say life, now it's not the source of life for me. It is not the source of existence, not the source of my immunity, not the source of my long life, not the source of my prosperity, not the source of joy in my home. I'm a married man. Today my wife and I were talking about it. You know, something led to it. (laughs) And I said, if God gives you children that listen, don't think you know how to discipline them. <laughs> My wife and I talked about today. Because God blessed me. My children, they listen. My children so listen that if they open the fridge, they see a bottle of drink and they want it. They don't take it. They call their mother. They come upstairs. Mommy, can I have that drink? I told my wife, 
let it not even enter your mind or my mind that you know you learn to discipline the children early in life. If you start flogging them before the age of two, and then you do like this and this, and you are firm and you shrunk your face, God said, if I give you one small devil, <laughs> all this your doctrine will vanish. All this your doctrine, it will, dis- it will fly away. <laughs> So I said, look, running up and down is not the source of my life. Life has to be injected into the children, into the ministry, into the careers of the people of God, into their marriages, into their flesh. Are you getting my point? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has to be activated in their mortal bodies. I said, Banky, you are using that critical time to be running up and down because they say if you lose weight. You will not die. So I said, wait. Will I come and try and kill me? My life is hid with Christ in God. Like I said, nothing wrong with running, no. It's just that I will read the book first. I will read the scriptures first. I will imbibe the word of God first. That must take the most precious part of the day. It must the most precious part of the day must be taken by the things that are most valuable. What am I saying? To plant ourselves on the rock is something we do deliberately. To plant ourselves on the rock is to say the world has a system. Jesus, teach me your system. And let me say this to you. You, the system of God will always clash with the system of the world. True faith is for you to get up and choose the system of God, even though it will put, in quote, in quote, your life at risk. Because until Jesus kills your natural life, he cannot give you the resurrected life. That's the first thing he does. So one of the ways he kills it is that just bring you into the clash zone. Into the Armageddon, as spiritual principles clash with the worldly principles. And it says, take your stand. Take your stand. I always like to give this example, because many young people listen, and they must not get confused. It's time to marry. You are still doing tribal division. God said, you don't believe yet. Is that you don't believe yet. There's no faith in you yet. A, a God-loving, heaven-focused young man comes to meet you that wants to marry. And he says he's from Anambra. Our people don't marry from Anambra. Because <laughs> there's no problem. I will use you as an example. Listen, let me tell you the truth. Ananias and Sapphira were Christians. That's all I have to tell you. Don't ever forget that. Yeah, God killed them. And you don't look back. Don't forget that thing. Ananias was a Christian. His wife, Sapphira, they were both baptized. What else does it take to give your life to Christ? The things of God will always clash at the point in time. Even when it comes to the way we use our money. I give that example a lot of times. The world will say, save this, do this, keep your money here. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. 
There are times the Lord will make it clear to you, this is a worry about tomorrow that you are doing. He will say, get up, go and give. Give to the poor. Give to the gospel. Sir, these ones you are giving me so I can give to. When I'm done, there will be nothing remaining. Say, that's the idea. They will say, you are not wise. God said, that's it. It's the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of heaven. Choose one. My wife and I were talking the other day. I said, before you make any investment, before you do anything, you have to pray. God, is this the way by which you want to give me resources? If it is not, no matter what the world says, that this makes money, forget it. And many times, the world will say, uh, uh, the, 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 the world will show you how it's making money, and the Holy Spirit will say, forget it. One of our brothers told me, said, I know how to hold dollar. When I was moving like this, he said, I have the Naira to acquire the dollar and hold it. He said, but I can't. I said, why not? He said, because the Holy Spirit has told me clearly, it is against the prayer and praying for my country. Even though I could make money doing it, I will not. It's a sacrifice for my faith. I shared the testimony here the day he mentioned it to me. After one of our brothers came to, to him, came to me after. He said, sir, that thing you said happened exactly to me last week. When the dollar began to climb, my sister works in a bank and could get me the dollars. And she said, send the money. I was about to send it. Then something in me said, what are you doing? I turned to my wife and said, see what I wanted to do. But he thought, the wife, before he finished saying it, the wife said, you, do you want to die? That's what his wife told him. I told you, the closer you walk with God, the, what everybody is in a small thing, the way he will handle you. His wife said, eh? You want to die? Is that how you now love money? To be speculating against your own currency? So he called the sister and said, Sorry, I don't want to die. <laughs> Let me tell you, God just says, Listen, boys, stop worrying about these things. I will bless you, don't worry about it. Every time the principles of this world clash, with my principles. Choose sides. That's, and listen to me. What God is doing on a daily basis, like I said, is planting us in Christ. Because he's saying this earth will shake. Once again, I will shake the heavens and I will shake the earth. Now we're talking about being planted in such a manner that nothing can shake you. That's what the gospel is about. Being planted in such a manner that nothing can shake you. How do you plant? Is by taking heed to the words of Christ. Looking for them. Not just waiting for them to come to you. Looking for those words. And ensuring that you build your life according to those words. That was what we said last week about abiding in Christ. And that's what we are developing further now. That we must abide. We must be planted on the rock. We must be planted on the rock because this earth will shake. And everything that can be shaken, we go with it. Listen to this. Companies will collapse again. And this interesting part, I almost feel like mentioning a name, but I won't because I have nothing against anybody. There are companies that today, the people who started them, they are known as billionaires in dollars. 
And after a while, there will be no more. I mean, all of them will be no more after a while. I hope you get my point. But I mean, in the near future, you will look back. Ah, and say, three years ago, if they told me this man would not even be a millionaire today, or this company would not be worth more than maybe $100 million, I won't believe it. But we listed this man as one of the top 10, top 20 richest men in the world just a few years ago. God says, once again, I shake the heavens and I shake the earth. All flesh is grass. And the goodness thereof is like the flowers of the field. Said so the grass withers, the flower fades. Now, this is the point. When the breath of God blows upon it, God said, I'm blowing my breath again. Don't hide yourself in a physical rock. Hide yourself in Christ. Let's bow down here. Let us pray. Let us pray. I don't know what the Lord has said to you since I've been speaking. There are things he has been saying. Just respond to those things in your own words. Let's continue to pray and ask for grace to stay on the word. That is how we stay on the rock. That is how we build on the rock. That is how we abide in Christ. So let's